Part of the real joy for me is that now I frequently meet adults who learned our program when they were kids, who will tell me it was so good growing up doing that, and now they're so excited because they've got kids and they're going to teach it to them. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, we're getting ready to start a new year, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Some people are just becoming familiar with IEW for the first time. They heard IEW was amazing. It was great. They went out and bought our materials to help them teach writing to their students, whether they're in a school or co-op or even just moms or dads sitting at a dining room table. And they may not have ever heard the story our story here at IEW, which I think is a great story. It's not as important as their own story. Their own story is just as important, and we look forward to hearing great results. But I thought it would be good for us to spend some time talking about how you stumbled upon this writing method and how it has become more and more popular over the years. Sure. Yeah, I tell I tell the story at the beginning of the teaching writing structure and style But yes, a lot of people aren't doing that or they don't hear it or it doesn't strike them as interesting because it's all so new. But uh, my background is, of course, not in English or education per se. My formal training is as a Suzuki violin teacher. So I was working for this small school in Montana. It was a private, unaccredited school, and it was kind of this, anybody who's available should be able to teach whatever we need. Okay. So while I was teaching music, I was also teaching PE and a little bit of computer programming. Oh, interesting. But, you know, in a a simple way. Well, and this was in the 90s. Yes, early 90s. (laughs) Actually, it was in the late 80s. Okay, got I was it. very young. Not a lot of computer programming going on at that there, time. There was some. There was some. But the, one of the teachers at this particular school was a Canadian. Okay. And she kept talking about this thing she was so excited called the Blended Soundsight Program of Learning. Okay. This is the best way to teach reading and writing to everyone. We've got to go and learn this from the you know, from the Canadians who developed this. And she was very persuasive, so much so that uh, the school decided their whole faculty should go, which was honestly only about seven teachers and one administrator. So it was, like I said, a small school. And my wife was also working for the school Mm. at the same Mm -hmm. time. In fact, that's where we met. So Mm. we all went up to northern Alberta, four hours north of Edmonton, where the sun doesn't set till midnight. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I've been there. I know that's true. <laughs> we, we we took a ten day mm-hmm. uh, teacher training course from uh, Mrs. Anna Ingham, her daughter Shirley George, and her nephew uh, James Webster Burton, James Burton Webster, and a few other teachers that had been doing that, and they'd been doing this for. I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years before I got there, which is in 1990. Mm-hmm. That's when we went for the first time. And so we kind of did a divide and conquer thing. They had a, a course A, which is primarily for teachers of younger children. Mm-hmm. So first grade, second grade. And that was kind of Mrs. Ingham's big thing. Like, how do you get a whole room of 40 first graders reading and writing independently by Christmas? You know, that idea. And then, of course, B, which was mostly for teachers of older students. So how do you use the same ideas to strengthen their reading if it needs strengthening, as well as Webster's writing program? Mm-hmm. And his uh, his writing program had developed over many, many years, starting, you know, 30, 40 years before that when he was a new teacher and he had come up with various ways of teaching kids writing stuff that was working well. And then he went off to become a professor of African history. And he kind of refined some of his ideas about teaching writing for the university level. And then he ended up helping Mrs. Ingham and uh, her daughter, Shirley George, teach this summer course. And then he would create handouts and the handouts gradually became a book and the book was disorganized and unmanageable. So then it got rewritten into a less disorganized and unmanageable book, which is about where it was when I came on the scene. And that book is a book we sell. Yes. It's called Blended Structure and Style in Composition. But we sell it with a caveat, Mm -hmm. which is don't start here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Start with our video course, maybe a student course or a theme book, and teach that. And then if you really want to get into the minutia of Webster's way of thinking. Yeah, kind of a legacy type person. You you might enjoy this book. But Mm -hmm. it's a very big book. It's not terribly user-friendly in terms of books. There's lots of stories in there about his dog, Foxy. There's a lot of stories. <laughs> and about know. the monkeys. <laughs> um, so, But the thing that struck me so strongly was, you know, I, was, I studied in Japan with Dr. Shinichi Suzuki, founder mm-hmm. of Suzuki Method, and we've talked about the, the pillars of talent education. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the writing system that he was teaching, I thought, this is as close as it gets to a Suzuki method for teaching English composition. So I was lined up with it very immediately in terms of the philosophy of education than the pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And that interested me more than the idea of teaching English composition per se. Right. But anyway, I stayed there the whole 10 days. We all came back and we transformed the school into a – a blended sound site, which we nicknamed BLESS oh. for blended and then sound site program of okay, learning. So I we like wanted that. to bless the students. <laughs> uh, it sounds just better than BSS. That's <laughs> true. And so I was then teaching through the units with middle school age kids. It was a 
grade seven, eight combination English class that mm-hmm. somehow there was no one else to teach it. So I did. <laughs> and I just used the, you know, the structure and the style and the checklists. And I created some source text and found some others. And it went so well. It surprised me. Mm-hmm. It surprised the kids. They're like, wow, I didn't know I could write so well. It surprised the parents and the other teachers. So the next summer, I decided to go back and take that same course again because I felt there was so much more I could learn. Sure. You know, when you hear something one time, it goes by awfully fast. And although it was stretched out over 10 days, it still went by awfully fast. And then you come back to real life and you forget so much of it. So I went up and took that same 10-day course again. And then this school kind of changed a bit and our personal situation changed. And so we actually moved uh, about an hour away. And I wasn't working for the school anymore. I was teaching music, you know, full-time violin, kinder music. But I I kept my hand in the writing by doing some after-school writing classes, mm. mainly for my two oldest daughters and their friends. Mm-hmm. And so I just had a this kind of extracurricular creative writing, I think is what I called it, or, you know, structure and style writing class or something. And again, it worked very, very well. The product the students were producing was good. Mm-hmm. I was happy. They were happy. It was all girls, oddly. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. And they just had a blast. And uh, I thought, this, you know, this has potential. And I I wanted to go back a third time. And I said, you know, would it be weird if I came back? And they said, oh, come on back. Sure. And if you're going to keep coming back, you can join our team and help us present this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went up a third year and I knew Dr. Webster better now. And he took it pretty seriously and made me his little protege and said, you're going to do this lecture and you're going to correct all these papers and you're going to make my life easier by doing all this stuff. (laughs) And so that was really when our relationship started. Mm. And then I had a couple years of not really doing that. I tried some other business things and I was pretty miserable And uh, I went back to teaching music and then this school that I – and we moved out of Montana. So we were in a completely different state, northern Idaho at that Mm -hmm. point. The school called me and said, hey, we have some new teachers. Would you come back and do a little workshop for our teachers on that writing thing that you learned when we all went to Canada? I thought, oh, that's a good thing to do, especially if they're going to pay me. Right. (laughs) And my mother lived over there, so it was a chance to go visit her. So I went and I I did this, and there were a couple parents that were connected with the school Mm -hmm. who also were either homeschooling one or more of their kids while they had other kids in school or they had been homeschooling or somehow – and they said, well, there's nothing like this right. in the homeschool curriculum world. Yeah. This is this is great. Mm-hmm. And I had been looking for a side gig. My, my actual goal was to figure out what kind of side business could I do where I could make enough extra money so that I could afford to teach music. Mm. Because quite honestly, it is a hard, hard mm-hmm. way to keep your wife home 
and be self-employed and sell your hours for dollars. Teaching music is a tough way to yeah, go. Yeah, it is. So I wanted something that had a, a little more scalable nature to it. Mm -hmm. And I, I always liked teaching. I, I got comfortable talking to groups of people, did a Toastmasters thing for a while, did some customer service training seminars for businesses. That was awful because nobody wanted to hear what you had to say. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I put together a little flyer. I put together a little business identity, Institute for Excellence in Writing. It's a little wordy, but thank heavens I didn't stick with the original which was Institute for the Achievement of Excellence in Writing. <laughs> and uh, I, I sent out these flyers uh, to a homeschool group that was willing to work with me on this. And I got 20 people to pay $40 to listen to me talk for a whole day. Wow. And I thought, whoa, that's as much as I make in a whole week mm -hmm. of 40, 50 hours of teaching music. This right. is a good deal. Right. And so my original plan was to kind of teach maybe one or two of these seminars and see if I could get an extra couple thousand a month that would crack my nut. And that was my, that was my plan. But after essentially four years of doing that and making some videos and making our, our, our spelling program with mm -hmm. Dr. Webster, I was actually making more money running around teaching writing seminars and selling videos and spelling programs than I was teaching music as hard as I could four days a week. So at that point, we had decided to relocate out of Idaho back to California, mainly because grandparents on both mm -hmm. sides were there for my children. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, this I, I can live on this now if I really devote myself to it. So went full-time uh, right around the year 2000. Earlier than that. Well, I was full-time. Oh, I see. Yeah. Got so it. I was teaching music up until 99. Which is when we met. And we met because you had found out about it mm -hmm. from the homeschooling. I had, had a couple homeschool conference speaking gigs, and there was really almost no internet, so mm -hmm. to speak. Right. I mean, the first flyers I sent out, people had to mail back with a check right? <laughs> or filling in their credit card information. I'm not even sure I, I could process credit cards at right. the beginning. It was like check or cash or just show up. I don't know. And then it was right around that time when it was possible to communicate to people through the internet. And so that gave gave me some tools. How did you first hear about me? I was at a homeschool convention. I was actually working at a booth for Biola University. We had just started in California. Our homeschool outreach program, yes. Okay. And I had heard from our friends at Beautiful Feet Books that you were doing something because I was looking for a way to help these kids in my program, which is now 30 years later or so has evolved to become Star Academics, which is based in Yorba Linda, California. So shout out to Robin and her team for continuing that vision. And they still use IEW, but I found you because I was desperately looking for a writing program to help these junior high and high school students learn how to write so that they could be college ready. I remember the first big seminar we did at Biola. Mm -hmm. It was bittersweet in that we were in a like the chapel mm -hmm. of the college mm -hmm. and everybody was sitting in pews mm -hmm. 
And I had never done a seminar where people didn't have tables so、right. they could write and do all the practicum exercises and all that. So they're all sitting in pews. I I just didn't know how to manage that. Like, is this even going to work? But you had, I don't know, close to 180 people there, which there was-, was by far the biggest thing that had ever happened. So I thought, well, this is the biggest thing, so that's good. There's no tables, so that's bad. But We'll survive it, which is generally my attitude about、yep. any circumstance.、Yep. And then I don't know. It just every year got、mm-hmm. better and better and better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you teased me and said, "Hey, you know, why don't you leave Biola and come work for me?" I, I think the way I put it was, "If you ever leave Biola, right, then you should come." Because I thought, "Hey, if she can get two hundred people in a seminar, she knows something <laughs> that I don't know." Because I had never been able to muster up that many. So, 15 years ago in 2007, I picked up the phone and said, "Hey, did you mean it? Because I'm ready to move on." Because my youngest had graduated from high school, I、right. wasn't homeschooling anymore. And you finished your、uh, master's in business administration, right? MBA. I was actually working on my MBA when I was started working for you. So a lot of my course requirements, I used IEW as the the. The lab to try、okay. these things on,、yeah. so yeah. Well, it served us very well, and of course, you know, we we look at the. I won't say exponential because that would be an exaggeration,、mm-hmm. but the very, very significant, steady growth over that fifteen years period of time. Well, and I remember you saying to me. You know, this would have been maybe 14 years ago. We have saturated the homeschool community, <laughs> and I said. No, we haven't. Let's you know. Let's see how we. Yeah, can reach I more still often think that these days because <laughs> now I go to a convention and pretty much everyone I talk to knows all about it, but I don't talk to everyone no, there. No, and of course we see now not only is homeschooling growing, but the whole phenomenon of hybrid schools、yep. and charter schools being much more aggressive about finding. Best practices、yes. for their students, and、yes. uh, I mean, someday we could do a whole podcast on schools that are really trying to do it well and、yeah. and be great. When we have many, many of those schools, and、yeah. and we really, I think it's a case where probably the world of opportunity has grown way. Faster than our little niche in yes. that. Yes. <laughs> so I'm no longer worried about. Having saturated a market, especially because people come in and out, right?、Yes. Their kids grow up, and then they're not there. But then there's new people who come in, and、uh, of course, we have had marvelous partnership types of relationships、yep. with groups like Classical Conversations and the、uh, National Association of University Model Schools, or I think now they call them University Model Schools International (UMSI)、right. and right. probably you know a dozen other organizations、yep. that. Uh, have seen the efficaciousness of our approach, and even in some ways, they've helped us refine our products to be even more effective. Right. Yeah. Because one of the things that we have worked on is more consistency in our student material. So our mission, our goal, is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will train them. To teach their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. You have articulated that so beautifully 
that everyone in the company except me practically has it memorized. <laughs> but, but yes, that is. And you know, I I never had ambitions. In fact, this has been a little point of contention because mm-hmm. I'm always like, we don't want to be too ambitious. Mm-hmm. We can get in trouble that way. Yeah. And you, on the other hand, have said, but there's so much good we can do if right. we if we reach out and be a little more ambitious. Yeah. So I think that. To the degree we've been ambitious to serve, we've been blessed right. and effective, and then try to just keep you know the personal ambition side out of it. Right, and you know Michael Hyatt, a podcast. I am a, a fan of his podcast and his books and leadership. He says, "I don't want to grow," and so I'm just using his words. I don't want IEW to grow because we need to grow. I want IEW to grow because we have something that is so valuable that we want more people to benefit from. And part of the real joy for me in having done this for 26 years, 27 years. Mm -hmm. Almost 30. Is that now I frequently meet adults Mm -hmm. who learned our program when they were kids. Yep either from a teacher that I trained or from a video or being part of a co-op or group who will tell me it was so good growing up doing that. It made their writing in college or university so much easier. And now they're so excited because they've got kids and they're going to teach it to them. And, you know, you have that long vision Mm -hmm. on it. It's not just, oh, things are better now than they were a year ago. It's I look back on my childhood and that was one of the really good important things that I remember from from my youth. And because of that longevity, we can honestly say that we have these long-term research data to show that this is an effective method of teaching writing. And we've done several studies, probably time to do another one because, you know, gotta love those studies that demonstrate that this way to teach writing, the structural models, the stylistic techniques really do come together to help students regardless of their age or ability or their proficiency, whether they have special needs or whether they're talented. It moves them along to become a confident and competent communicator and thinker. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing to note is that There's nothing that we do that is particularly new, nothing particularly innovative. Webster developed his ideas, really, which came from his experience of being taught in the early to mid-1900s. He was born in 27, Mm -hmm, I believe. mm -hmm. And so there was kind of a, a strong tradition of imitation, of modeling, of using the wisdom of the past to teach the present. And I think this whole idea of, well, let's get rid of the tradition and replace it with something new, Mm -hmm. that kind of started when we were in school in the 60s, 70s. -hmm. And, And we're at a point now where it's almost as though anything new must be better than anything old. And of course, that's a profound fallacy mm-hmm. but that's kind of the mentality like that's progressive like mm-hmm. it has to, if it's new it has to be better that's progress whereas what we really see is that elements of what we do you can trace back all the way to 
the ancient rhetoric exercises and things that people were learning uh, much more effectively all up really until the late 1900s. So mm. in a way, yes, Webster added his flavor to something he had learned. I have added my flavor to things I've learned from him. Right. And the stories of how he kind of codified each unit are very interesting. We could do a whole podcast mm -hmm. on how each unit came to be. Mm -hmm. But they're all on that same foundation of mm -hmm. modeling and imitation and understand. We don't have to reinvent the wheel on how to communicate with clarity and good right. effect. People have been doing this mm -hmm. for a very long time, much more effectively than is happening in our modern world we see now in yeah. many cases. So, yeah. so there's nothing particularly new, but I guess, you know, Providence put me at the right time in the right place with the right needs and the right opportunities and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, hopefully someday we can say millions of students will be will have been future perfect tense mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, blessed to gain these skills when they're young and empower them to be more effective as they grow older right right and good writing is good writing how do you get from i don't know how to write to i'm a good writer i write clear, cohesive paragraphs. I write with a variety of sentence structures and interesting vocabulary, and every now and then I throw in a literary device, and I can communicate something clearly and effectively. That's good writing. That's what we teach in a very systematic, sequential, easy-to-understand, easy-to-teach method that doesn't exist anywhere else. And we have enough people who've attained that goal Yes. That we can be totally confident that the pathway we present to get there exactly. works. Exactly. And, and honestly, I, I would maybe be a little bit bold, but I don't know of any reason I can't say that it works 100% of the time. The only people I know for whom it did not work are the ones who gave up mm -hmm. early on yep. for one reason or another. Right. Trust the system is something that we often say here Trust at IEW. Trust the system, yeah. yeah. And when I say we here at IEW, it compels me to think of you in your garage with your kids putting together books <laughs> and stuffing envelopes to now dozens and dozens of people who, you know, are pleased to call IEW their Family, Their family, yeah. yes. More than just employer, but family, indeed. Well, thank you, Andrew. This, I think, was very insightful and maybe a little bit nostalgic for both you and me as we reflect on this. And Definitely. hopefully helpful to our new families in particular to understand a little bit of what, but more importantly, why we're doing what we do here at IEW. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. 
One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.